Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday! Lately, your low self-esteem is just good common sense. Hello, and welcome to Little Marty, the only podcast that I'm aware of dedicated to covering the works of Adam Sandler and Martin Scorsese. My name is Eric Halloween. And my name is Jeremy the Butcher. Welcome, welcome. Chop, chop, chop. Chop, chop, chop. Jeremy, we got some great guests coming up. Real quick, I wanted to uh, plug the old Patreon we might before, as well. before yeah. we get going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Uh, what are we doing over there, my man? Well, we've got a litany, a slew, a smorgasbord of bonus content. Uh, I like to call it the supplemental materials to this show. That's mm-hmm. right. The criterion bonus features, if you will, of the Little Marty podcast all can be found on patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. We cover things like uh, the film Mordecai (laughs) Uh, (laughs) or episodes of Tales from the Crypt, just loose episodes every now and then. Uh, Sometimes we cover um, uh, 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 Dolly Parton films. Sometimes we cover uh, films that Adam Sandler was only cameoed in, such as The Animal, uh, Shakes the Clown, or Coneheads. It's a really yes, good time. I, I might there. add that a lot of those are films that our listeners have pressured us into doing episodes on. So and if you sign up yes. over there, you can you can pretty much twist our arms and, and get us to do episodes on anything. We'll do anything you tell us to do on the Patreon. Do we feel good about it? Barely. It's a, <laughs> it's a good time, though. We do let our hair down, and I do like to stress that. We let our hair down on the Patreon. What you're getting here on the main feed is some bullshit phoning it in garbage <laughs> on the patreon <laughs> oh, the jokes never stop there folks yeah our hairs are in nets right yeah. now mm-hmm. i have mine in a high our, ponytail our yeah our hair is is in one single ponytail <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> we've been we've been like this all day uh it's been very awkward uh going to the restroom mm-hmm. i gotta say yeah but, uh so patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy for all your content needs. And uh, this is, of course, a Adam Sandler and Martin Scorsese podcast. Uh, we are covering, uh, we have finally reached Spanglish, Jeremy. Finally. The, the holy grail. Of, I know. Uh, the holy Sandler. grail. <laughs> the, the, moment, the moment where I literally can, th- this is literally the moment in my history of being a fan of Adam Sandler where I f- completely fell off. Yeah. Um, this- which I'm excited to... Uh, talk about but. yeah uh, well do we want to introduce our guests or, or get into we our should personal introduce, history let's we, get into we let's should, introduce our guests yeah we should introduce our guests so so these guys co-host uh one of my favorite podcasts it's called northern overexposure uh welcome lee and charles hello hi hello thanks for having us thanks for coming on uh so you you fellows host uh northern overexposure you've been on our uh previous episode when we were covering 
Wes Anderson, and we talked about um, what did we do? We did Royal Tenenbaums. Tenenbaums. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we did Royal Tenenbaums. We did a yeah, that's a great movie. Relatively good film, and then we thought like, well, we already got a good one, so let's do like a bad one with them. Let's, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really curious to to hear the thought process behind uh, picking Spanglish. So, so I'm a so Charles and I yeah we were trying to decide. Should we do like a funny Adam Sandler, a serious Scorsese? Um, and I think we decided like to, to go the Sandler route of this. And uh, I'm just like, so James L. Brooks, the director of Spanglish, directed two of my favorite movies of all time, uh, Terms of Endearment, Broadcast News, Back mm-hmm. to Back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never seen Spanglish, <laughs> though I understand it's uh, not his best movie. I was expecting like, just sort of like a, uh, uh, just, you know, whatever middling movie that would just be whatever. It's just interesting to watch, but, um, yeah, it is surprisingly, um, off. It is surprisingly <laughs> strange. movie, And, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I was Charles watched this last night. I watched it with them with like through an Amazon prime watch party, but, oh, um, awesome. I, I, uh, I rented it twice cause I watched it like a week ago and then oh, I wanted great. to rewatch it with Charles. It was fun watching it a second time just cause it's so bizarre. It's a very Eric, bizarre movie, but we, we should do that. We should watch more of these movies together. Honestly, <laughs> we should do that. Cause I yeah, feel I well, like sometimes that. when I'm watching these bad movies in a silo, <laughs> I'm just really uh, upset <laughs> and, uh, I feel like it would really take a lot of the pain away to have a buddy there to kind of weather it with you. I'm I'm with you, Jeremy. I think that's a great idea. I, I think that that's an idea that we're going to have to steal from Lee and Charles. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, before we dive into Spanglish, I wanted to talk a little bit about Northern uh, overexposure because oh, yeah. I, I had been, so I think I told you guys last time you were on, but I, I have still been watching the show for the first time along with your podcast. So you took a little break before season five. And I've I've just now started getting into season five, so I'm cool. a little behind. I think I'm at episode two, but I gotta say, I just I just listened to your episode on season five, episode two, and Jeremy, these guys got the um, what I forget the term. It would it would it was an oh, animal was wrangler, with, um, yeah. So or animal you know, supervisor, yeah. Like animal coordinator, I think is the the way uh, she's she was like, you can just call me whatever, but animal wrangler trainer coordinator so is the person responsible for finding the animals like the moose from the opening titles of northern exposure um finding all these crazy animals training them in some situations um and then in some situations just sort of like hurting them you know um but yeah that was really cool i forgot that was from in the that show episode for, from northern exposure yeah yeah Whoa. she's also done like did she said she also worked in the on Pacific northwest go ahead um did did she not say she she also worked on like Homeward Bound in the Airbud movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Man, I think that's like so Spooky cool. Buddies, like the Buddy movies too. Maybe some of those. Uh, oh my god, <laughs> you've seen those in that's one. rad, guys. Eric, we gotta we gotta get somebody on our show. We gotta get, get someone get a good guest. Man. Let's get um. <laughs> yeah, we should just get Sandler. I, I, well, I was gonna shoot lower. I was gonna say Alan Covert. <laughs> well, like you might have a decent chance of getting Adam Sandler. I say this because like I heard a story is that like if you give Adam Sandler like merch, like if you just give him like hey like uh. this is my organization, like here's a T-shirt from them, <laughs> mm-hmm. he wears it 
to like interviews and stuff. If you go like watch like late night with Conan O'Brien or something like that, and he's wearing a t-shirt, the story is that like, he just got handed that t-shirt. He'll just do it. Cause he's just like, Oh, I mean, I'm Adam Sandler. It doesn't matter. Like they kind of perceive yeah. me to be this person. So you might be able to get him on your podcast. If you just, uh, yeah, just shoot him like a direct <laughs> message or something. Yeah. Let's send him a shirt, Eric, that says, please do our podcast. <laughs> and a date and a Maybe time and, and, a, and a, a discord link <laughs> yeah. he's just wearing it on jimmy kimmel or something yeah we get a lot more like b- terrible guests that way actually <laughs> um wow that's amazing guys well congratulations um yeah so when you guys take a little break what do you guys do like seasonal we do seasonal breaks, uh, but we also we typically will take a break every like eight episodes because we try to do the thing where we like record in advance and have enough episodes banked to where like when life comes in, we you know we don't have to worry about uh, releasing an episode every week because we've got or, or producing an episode every week is because we've got a backlog. But it just always it always like kind of falls apart or like life life steps in so we try to like at least get like eight in a row and then take a short break because the first season is like seven episodes second season is eight episodes i think that's where that started Hmm. okay see that's another idea i think we might have to steal from them jeremy (laughs) is uh banking episodes wait yeah it's a good idea do you guys record every single week like without banking (laughs) oh you better believe yeah we do well that's nice though it's like more present I th- th- so we, I would say we envy that for sure. Yeah, like sometimes uh, here's like a, I mean it's not really much of a secret because we openly admit it sometimes. But like we have a, a the ending part of our podcast, we'll bring someone who's never seen the show before. They'll give us their thoughts, and then me and Lee will comment on what they say. But sometimes the guest is a little bit late, so we have to wait like maybe a week or two before we get their response. And by that time, when we come back, we've forgotten the episode. So like we're listening <laughs> through what they're saying. They've never seen it, and then we've already forgotten it. So we're just like ah. I think they do talk about that in that episode. That's very interesting that he brings that up. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, no, banking episode. So it's something me and Eric could easily do because our show, there is no news element to our show. It does not need to take place uh-huh. in any given time. So, you know, Eric, that's another idea we might want to steal from these boys is, uh, is banking episodes. Like, you know, just taking a week, doing a whole finishing little marty all together and then just like <laughs> putting on sunglasses and jumping in a pool and coasting until uh yeah till the next next series comes around um i do like i do like the ritual of it i will say um if i can accommodate it you know what i mean like the sometimes life does get in the way you're right um but the ritual of meeting every week with my boy eric mm-hmm. keeps us uh because you know we don't live uh, kind of like you guys we don't live in the same place he you know eric's in um were you in uh, Iowa, Eric? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's say Iowa. <laughs> okay, Eric was in Iowa. I like to keep it mysterious. <laughs> yeah, and I live in and I live in uh, south, uh, the south of France. So it's um, <laughs> it's just like wait, you know, we don't often get a chance to uh, hang out. So it makes me feel like I still know this guy. So uh, before we before we dive into Sandler, uh, just real quick because I'm such a fan of, of the show and I want people to check out your podcast. It's about it's about a TV show called Northern Exposure. Oh, what do you tell people when it's just like? Because I found myself recently trying to explain Northern Exposure to someone, and it was hard for me <laughs> to explain it in a succinct 
brief way. Hmm. What do you tell someone when they, when you're like pitching the show to them? Uh, you I find you that like take it, Lee? oh go ahead Charles. You want me to take it? Yeah. Well, I find like my explanation of it has constantly evolved, but pretty much I always go back to it's a show from the 90s about a fish out of water doctor from the big city who moves to a small town of Alaska. And it's about just like his struggles of um, acclimating to this lifestyle, this slower pace of life. And there's a lot of um, just sort of like slice of life moments. It's a bit of a comedy, but also has dramatic elements. And um, there's like some spirituality and mysticism sort of mixed in with the native Alaskans. Uh, there's everyone who lives there is just such a wonderful, kind community, almost in like an ideal, I, idealistic um, utopia in a way. Um, mm. But yeah, there's a lot going on there. It's a very serious show too. A lot, a lot of that we've been seeing lately in Northern Exposure is talking about death too, but just in a very like matter of fact way. Beautiful. <laughs> That's what I've got. I'm going to yeah. memorize that for the next time <laughs> that I uh, have to explain <laughs> the show to someone. <laughs> Um, so yes, James L. Brooks wrote and directed Spanglish. Uh, we talked about that. Uh, Jeremy and Charles, uh, do you have any history with, uh, the films of James L. Brooks? Oh yeah, baby. I love James L. Brooks. I mean, he's a co-creator of the Simpsons for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> I grew up staring at his name like twice or three times a week minimum, you know, um, in the credits of the Simpsons. I didn't see his film. His films are not like the Simpsons, um, a lot more adult themed. And I didn't really see them until I got older. Uh, so terms of endearment again, that's a classic, uh, what was what was what was the other one called? Broadcast News. Is that what it was mm-hmm. called. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Broadcast News is with uh, Albert Brooks, actually, who mm-hmm. I always thought were brothers growing <laughs> up, and turns you- out that's not true. They're just two separately hilarious Brooks guys. And you- uh, Al- uh, Albert Brooks in Broadcast News is like absolutely uh, like stunning performance. It's what made me so obsessed with him. And um, <laughs> uh, I, I kind of so the thing about James L. Brooks is. I was kind of pri- I, I was kind of primed to not to, I already went into Spanglish with a little bit of a <laughs> uh, watchful eye because there was a movie I saw in 2010. I don't know if anyone here has seen this movie, but it's called How Do You Know? Yes, and it's actually. A vi- yeah, I saw that. Sorry, I saw it in theaters, and there was like no one else in there but me and my <laughs> friend, and they were like. They just gave us like free merch. Like I have a "How do you know?" baseball cap and like oh, the great. poster. It's like no <laughs> one was there. I guess. <laughs> the, this movie has like I mean every star that was hot in that in that year, right? Like Paul Rudd, Owen Wilson, Reese Witherspoon. It's got like a very small performance by Jack Nicholson in there. Um, they also work together on As Good As It Gets, which is a great, that's another great movie. Um, but How Do You Know was not good um, by my recollection. I did not enjoy that movie at all. And and then I had only heard sort of negative things about Spanglish. So I was like, I bet what happened is after As Good As It Gets, I, I think these guys just get old. I mean, that's just kind yeah. of my running theory is that, you know, he's not quite as sharp or something and that's exactly how spanglish feels to me and that's exactly how how do you know feels to me so 
uh, I did want to watch this when I was younger, like because I especially when in the era of like um, Punch Drunk Love or like Rain Over Me, which is another serious Sandler movie that I embarrassingly like really liked when I was younger. <laughs> um, but this this was one of those, and I I was always interested in it, and never got around to watching it, and um, until now, so it's my first time viewing. What about you, Eric? Uh, James L. Brooks, besides The Simpsons, is a little bit of a, a blind spot for me, I'm realizing. I have never seen Terms of Endearment uh, nor Broadcast News. I have seen As Good As It Gets. But uh, yeah, now uh, hearing you guys talk about his work, I, I think I'll have to watch some of his films. Well, he has like... Um, maybe. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, like the I know James L. Brooks not through his films. Like I've seen broadcast news with Lee because he was such a huge fan of it, and I I agree, it's like a fantastic film. I know him from the Mary Tyler Moore Show. He created right. that one, <laughs> oh. and that one is fantastic. Even through like you watch it through today, and it's still a wonderful show. So I think that like like you guys are saying, like he hit his peak in my imagine, you know, in my opinion, in the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Uh, he nailed it like mm-hmm. right out of the park, and then. Like he, he kind of still retained the magic, and he like kept going. Broadcast news, terms of endearment, and then like you guys are saying, it's just something like just happens with just talent. Like it's impossible to keep it going at one hundred percent, and he just like steadily lost it until you know uh, we're at present day where we're reviewing uh, his masterpiece, Spanglish. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it goes to show you too. Like after how do you know? You know that was in twenty ten. He's still alive, and you know he hasn't made a thing since yeah. that movie um and i don't know what that's about I, you know if i was him it, being the co-creator of the simpsons alone you'd <laughs> never have to do another so thing rich, for the rest yeah. of your life you could right. just ride it out like sam simon did until your death and i think that's it's interesting to keep creating stuff but at some point you know you have two movies back to back they weren't very good negative critical reception probably think about well what am I going to do? Just keep wrecking my own legacy? No, I'll probably, you know, throw in the <laughs> towel. Um, although, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going on there? I know that James L. Brooks, like, takes, like, years researching for a movie. Hmm. Uh, and I think, like, Terms of Endearment, I think he, like, shot it over the course of, like, something crazy, like a year or, like, two years or something. But, um, but yeah, but also, like... I don't think I've read anything that he's like shooting a new movie or even has like is trying to like cast for a new movie. So I think you're right. I don't think he's going to make another movie at least not soon. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bummer. You know, I mean, I would be, I would definitely, you know, I don't know. It's hard to say. I wouldn't, I don't think I want to, I don't think I, I don't know if I want another one. I mean, it, it, <laughs> if, especially not if it's going to be li- uh, something like, how do you know, like sort of like a corny yeah rom-com if he if he can do something about getting older you know a lot of older directors they like to make stuff about getting older you know <laughs> something like that i think i'd be yeah be kind you know down if he, especially if he got like nicholson out of retirement to come do something mm-hmm. again that would be really fun or albert brooks a guy who doesn't really do a lot you know it's a very specific project albert brooks will sign on for you know um mm-hmm. that would be cool but uh, yeah. So Lee, this was your first viewing. Charles, was this this was this your first viewing as oh, well? Oh yeah, absolutely. I had like I vaguely knew about Spanglish uh, growing up because I think there was like commercials shown for it whenever I was like a, you know younger, but like I I didn't even know that it was like attempting to be a serious film. I thought like because I just knew Adam Sandler was in it, and I thought around that era 
it was like his Mr. Bean era, I thought. I was just like, oh, this is like a really, um, like a whatever Adam Sandler film. And then as I, I continued watching the film with Lee and I was like typing with him at the watch party, it occurred to me, like it dawned that this was attempting to be a serious <laughs> film. Like it, it was going yes, for like, very much it so. had like sincerity and it was trying to go for like, it, it just <laughs> failed on so many fronts. And that, I think that <laughs> enraged me. Cause I was like, I was going to forgive them if they made like a Jack and Jill type of situation. I was like, hey, that's fine. Whatever, man. Adam Sandler wants to goof off. No, it, this is like a real film. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm I'm right there with you. So when I first saw this film, I saw this in theaters. This came out when mm-hmm. I was working at um, a movie theater in my hometown. And I forget when. It, I feel like it was around the holidays. But I had gone to the, a movie with my family. And you know when you go to a movie with your family, you kind of compromise on something that like mm-hmm. has a little bit for everyone, you know? Like my parents... And my sister like rom-coms, and I, I was a big Adam Sandler fan, so we all went to see Spanglish. And uh, like I said earlier, that was, that was I, I had seen 50 First Dates, and I was like, ah, it kind of seems like he's going the more serious route, and I hope he doesn't. And then when I saw Spanglish, I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to keep seeing Adam Sandler <laughs> movies for a while. It was, it was a disappointment to me. It, it was honestly a huge disappointment. That being said, watching this movie now, knowing what it is and knowing a little bit of the uh, backstory and also seeing it in context of Sandler's filmography chronologically, I don't mind it. It's it's I've kind of come to terms with the fact this viewing that it's it's simply not a movie that is for me, I guess. <laughs> um, but Jeremy, what about what about you? Have you seen this one before? No, I haven't. Um, I I uh, no, I haven't. But <laughs> I, I will also say too, like I, Sandler is. Well, we'll get into it. But Sandler is not the problem with this movie. Uh, that's no. the one nice thing I'll say about Spanglish. He's is, pretty good. Is it Sp- Sandler is fine. He has a really tough job to do. I think every actor in this in this movie has a really tough job to do. I, I, and I, I'm also, I'm just not okay with the film in general. Like, I don't think it's good, and I also think it's racist. And I think it, even though it knows it, it knows what it's doing in some ways. It's just old. Like, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. it's it's operating from a world yeah. that we just don't live in anymore. And there is, it is cringe throughout. Um, Taylioni's character in this is like. Mm the most oh, yeah. singularly repulsive character <laughs> I have yeah. seen on screen. However, um, there are moments, there was a moment in this movie where I was just like, man, I kind of forgave her because she was doing such, she's doing such good acting, right? She was really trying to yeah. channel something in a scene. And I was like, yeah, it's just fucked up. You know, sometimes you get in, into a movie and you're like, yeah, it's a James L. Brooks movie. The last movie did was as good as it gets. Of course I'm going to take this role. And then you get in there and you're like, what is this? What the f- am I doing? <laughs> you know, like it suddenly becomes like, I could, I imagine for some of those people, like a nightmare scenario where they have to play people that are disgusting and, you know, um, and, and, and like Taylor goes nuts in this movie. Yeah. Like, and that like was, that would have been hard to do, you know? She's definitely not like phoning it in. Like she's giving it her all, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's tough stuff to, yeah. to work with. Yeah. 
So uh, Brooks cast Sandler after seeing his more dramatic performance in Punch Drunk Love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the lead, the female lead, uh, Paz Vega, uh, did not speak English. She had a translator on set, uh, and and <laughs> part of uh, I, I I guess tying into this, uh, her not being able to speak Spanish. They shot the film in sequence, which is very hard to do and something mm-hmm. that doesn't happen very often. Huh, interesting. Hmm. Yes. So as we are sort of watching, I do find this to be sort of interesting, and I wonder how intentional it was, but as we are watching, we are, we are actually, like, as she's speaking English, she is gradually learning, learning. English. Learning, wow, yeah. You know? oh. It's kind of interesting, I yeah. guess. I, yeah. I was talking with Lee about this, how I really like it whenever a foreign actor, like, just crushes it in their own home country. Like, they're killing mm. it. They're obviously filled with talent. And then they come over to America and star in one of American mm-hmm. films. And then they also kill it in the, like in American films. Like, the yeah. prime example, like Christoph Waltz. You know, he comes into mm. Inglorious Bastards, <laughs> sure. you know, leaves a wake of devastation and it's, uh, you know, behind him. <laughs> and I, I just really like that. I don't know why. Um, Lee, like, why do you like that? Because I remember you saying that, like, you also really like that aspect. Uh, I don't know. I think it's just, like, I really, you know. I, th- I think I really like a lot of foreign movies and getting to see like that, you know, those actors sort of like branch, like break through into mm. American media is always nice to see. Yeah, man. And, and and I imagine like I've, I've only can kind of speak a little Spanish and you know, that's really it for me knowing other languages. But like, I think about comedians a lot too, like having to go tour in other countries where they're like either doing their bits and, in other languages or seeing how their bits translate to other countries. And like, that's always such a fascinating thing is like sort of, you know, how other cultures and other countries respond to you as a performer, you know, um, whether it be an actor or comedian or something like that. I think it, I think it's infinitely fascinating. Like Javier Bardem is another great example of like, just mm, yeah. blew everyone out of the water in like Mexican cinema, and then boom! Suddenly, he's now winning the Academy Award at for his you know for No Country, and just like he's just great, you know what I mean? Like, um, and it and it doesn't matter. It translates, you know, or it uh, it 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 borders, you know, it it translates a past borders. I think, yeah, cool. yeah. yeah. Like they're so uh, their talent is so wide and strong. They transcend boundaries, mm-hmm. like you were saying. Like you, you don't even have to speak the same language. Like you're so skilled at your craft that you can succeed in America. And like at the end, that's like you know the ultimate inspiration uh, to everyone. Like everyone wants to hear that. Like you can come from like you know humble beginnings and you know be able to succeed like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how uh, when Mr. Bean started in the UK <laughs> and then on TV in the UK, and then he came overseas and did Rat Race. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Just blew us all away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You were so I got to be honest. Okay. There's not a ton of uh, good trivia for 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 this. I've got movie. one that I think yeah. is absolutely tragic. And that is uh-huh. that, and for more for Adam Sandler, but Adam Sandler apparently oh, turned down the role of Max in Collateral yeah. to do yes, this film, the Jamie Fox role in Collateral. <laughs> Which honestly, when I first read that, I was like, "Holy shit, he would have been a great Tom Cruise character in that movie." Like, yeah, that would have oh, been yeah. such a weird against type casting, not unlike his role in Uncut Gems or something, but. Uh, I guess you know Jamie Foxx is really great in Collateral, but if I yeah. if I if I'm Adam Sandler 
and I'm thinking, holy God, I I chose Spanglish instead of working with, you know, uh, Michael Mann and doing Collateral. <laughs> I would have been bummed. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Jamie Foxx is like, if I I think Adam Sandler in that movie would have been really awesome. But I think if I had to choose Jamie Foxx is. I think the right part for it, but I but think yeah, so too. Adam I, I Sandler, was saying, after yeah. the fact, yeah, after and the fact, as Adam Sandler just being like, "Man, this is the movie I could have made." Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I wouldn't change a thing about Collateral because I do love it very much. But I think where I I, w- I would definitely be interested in seeing someone like Sandler do the yeah the Tom Cruise <laughs> role in oh, that. Wow. I think. Yeah. I, um, I think uh, speaking on that on like coincidences that would have happened on casting, I want to say if my recollection is correct. I'm pretty sure Adam Sandler was supposed to play the bear Jew in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Oh right, yeah. yeah, very famously, yeah. Huh. And he chose <laughs> um, Funny People instead, which is another like movie where, yeah, yeah, Funny People's. I I actually like Funny People. It's obviously way too long, but <laughs> it's um, it's definitely it's definitely not a, a stone cold classic like I think Inglorious Bastards mm-hmm. is. You know, yeah. So Spanglish uh, starts off with uh, Christina Moreno. We're basically hearing her. Uh, uh, so is the is the voiceover? Am I correct in saying that the voiceover is basically her writing a uh, essay for an application? Yeah, it's like her That's college sort of admission application. Mm. Um, yes, and uh, but then that I guess that means this whole story is sort of framed within her college admission essay, right? Right. That's that's that was my perception. Yeah. But I wasn't it, totally sure. It's not a good application essay. Like there's there's way too much going on and there's like it, it's the, the person who's reading this is like what is going on here? Like what I asked you what your strengths yeah. are. Why did why did you write about a sex scene between your parents in your essay for college? <laughs> Um, so anyway, it's uh, Christina Moreno's uh, Princeton University application essay. Uh, she tells the story of a year from her childhood uh, and how it shaped the person she is today. So it's Mexico, 1992. Flor Moreno, uh, a poor Mexican single mother, moved to America seeking a better life for her and her daughter, Christina. Uh, with two jobs, she still cannot pay the bills. So her cousin helps her get work as a housekeeper for the Klaskis, John and Deborah, their children, Bernice and Georgie, and Deborah's mother, Evelyn Wright. Is it my imagination, or is Georgie, like, not in this movie, really? He's barely he, yeah. in this movie. right? Yeah. yeah. It's almost so, like they're right, like... They forgot about Georgie. Yeah, they, like, <laughs> forgot about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, Bernice gets a lot of screen time, but Georgie, yeah, yeah not, not so, so much. So funny looking kid, but uh, but so I was telling Jeremy, I, or sorry, I was telling Eric that I watched on YouTube. Someone uploaded the um, the deleted scenes for this oh. movie, so I watched the deleted <laughs> scenes too. And so when we first see Georgie in this movie, it's actually when we first see Adam Sandler in this movie. Do you guys remember that? Do you guys remember like Adam Sandler's appearance? Yeah, wake in this up. Movie? He's telling yeah, he just up. like walks into the mm. room and you're like, oh my God, it's Adam Sandler. And then he leaves the room and he's just like in it for a second and then leaves. It's such a weird, yeah. I don't know. I thought it was such a weird intro for <laughs> yeah. for Adam Sandler. But um, but yeah, he's like going to wake up Georgie um, and it's like, 
Uh, it, it seems like Georgie is like, had been like, had, cause they're having this argument about Georgie, right? Like Adam Sandler and Tay Leone mm-hmm. are having mm-hmm. some sort of par- parenting argument, something that Georgie did wrong. I don't think the movie proper ever an- like answers that question. What did he do? <laughs> but I think it's like in a deleted scene, we learned that I'm trying to remember this now. We learned that Georgie, there was like a party the night before and a bunch of friends had gathered. And according to Tay Leone, she, like, Georgie was like, I want to sing a song for everybody. And then when it came to the moment in time when he's going to sing, Georgie, like, uh, got nervous and didn't do it. And she got really mad at him for that. And that's why they're mad at him. But that's Whoa. also kind of weird, too. I don't know. <laughs> so, oh, that's so interesting. So, um, theory here, I know, we're, uh, yeah. hypothesis here, <laughs> is that they, so, Taylioni is, um, like, repulsive to me but (laughs) i can tell that the movie wants you to hold off judgment of her like it wants you to kind of think oh she's quirky she has her flaws but she's maybe not a bad person right like she's there's something flawed about her and maybe her and adam sandler just don't work you know like they they don't want you to hate this character right it's kind of actually the movie kind of relies on the fact that you don't hate her you know, you kind of have to like go through the journey with these people. But if I were to hear that story about Georgie right <laughs> off the bat, I think that would have turned a lot more people off right away. Yeah. Mm. I think there's a few deleted deleted moments like later in the scene when they're hiring um, Floor, uh, they cut out some things from that scene as well that make um, Tay Leone's character, uh, what's her name, Deborah. Um, they make it makes her look more just like a bad person. So they, they were cutting some things out uh, to to try to work that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Th- this was a so I, I mean okay, addressing it kind of right off the top. This is a film that if James L. Brooks wanted to make, he definitely shouldn't have written himself. I think that's part of the issue, right? Is he? doesn't really understand what he's talking about it sounds like in a lot of these scenes and i think that like you see that very evidently in the way that like Leone's character sort of behaves and the things that she says i bet there was a lot left on the cutting room floor that she says that's just like ugh. like test audiences by the way part of the trivia we didn't read test audiences hated oh, yeah. this because if you're a person of color in that room this movie sucks. <laughs> like <laughs> this movie is just not a fun ride. Sorry. It's just not, it's just bullshit. And it's, it's like bullshit the whole time. And I imagine Tay Leone carried a lot of that bullshit into the film with that character. And I'm sure there's like a lot of stuff that we don't see that Tay Leone says microaggressions, right? Or maybe even worse. Right. In some cases. What, what's fascinating though, is that like before we even get to that, this movie is already just like fundamentally a terrible movie. That's without even touching like the problematic stuff. So it's like you don't even have to go to that area. It's like this is already a crappy film. Yeah. I was I was with it in being a, a Hollywood film, like a, just like a Hollywood rom com, until yeah. we get to the very first meeting scene with the grandma and the mom and mm. Bernice <laughs> at the table. That's where the movie right away. I mean, and that's really the first dialogue scene. I think um, that's yeah. that's where the movie just all of a sudden it crumbled and. I didn't understand her character. I didn't know what they were doing. I was like, is she crazy? Is she, does the movie think this is funny or quirky? It's not funny. No part of it is. The haggling over the money was so cringy. I wanted (laughs) to throw the hell up. It was crazy. $650 is 
criminal. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, to like, have a live-in twelve hours a day n- nanny and housekeeper. I think what's really messed up about that is like, what is uh? So Taylioni's like, all right, tell me how much. Like you would, you want to make a month, like, mm-hmm. or how, how much you want to make each week. And it's like, you have to tell me, like, if you say too much, then I'll, then I, or if you say too little, I don't think you value yourself. Ugh. If you say too much, then you, yeah. uh, then you're obviously like trying to con me. That's such Ugh. a weird, you can't like put someone on the spot and like, ah. Especially the, the when you're a white tonight. person and you hold all the power in that situation. Like yeah. it is so, it's so bad. It's not good. (laughs) Well, here's it's horrible. Here's something that's like odd. Like I didn't think about this whatsoever on this scene, and this is going from like a filmmaking decision. Uh, Lee pointed this out to me. Do you think that that particular scene, the lighting was off in that in that section? Yeah, Yeah. the whole movie, I think. But go ahead, Jeremy. No, I don't. Yeah, I was just I was just agreeing and laughing because it's very funny. But yeah, yeah, there's something off about it. Like uh, it makes it look like a like Lee said his words were like it makes it look like a TV. Like a television show instead of like a movie right there. Mm. I agree. Wow. And uh, by the way, cinematographer for this movie, John Seal, is an Academy Award winner (laughs) for his film, The English Patient. He also shot Mad Max Fury Road. So this guy (laughs) does know what he's doing. (laughs) Also, Hans Zimmer did the score. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what, this should have been a Batman movie. What are we doing here, guys? <laughs> uh, so John is a chef and an easygoing family man. Uh, Deborah was a businesswoman, now a stay-at-home mother, uh, and Evelyn is a quiet alcoholic. Uh, uptight and neurotic, Deborah upsets everyone, uh, psychologically abuses and body shames Bernice. She bullies John, demanding he always back her up. He is torn between defending his kid's mental well-being and his domineering wife. I don't get the the Bernice stuff is like so mean, and I don't understand oh, yeah. why like the, the, the why clothing stuff. You mean? Yeah, Dude, it's because so if they're if they're trying to make you not completely hate uh, Taya Leone's character, yeah. didn't work for me because yeah. at that moment, like I, I pretty much hated her from from there on out. Yeah, I'll say like it's a it's the the way that it's an impressive scene is that it starts out being like really sad because so the thing is like Bernice is trying on this clothes that Taylioni just got her and she's like um all the clothes that her mom bought her are like a size too small. And so it's like, oh man, it's sad that the family's not very connected. Like her mom doesn't even know what size she is. But then we realized that her mom intentionally bought her a size too small because she wants her to like lose that weight and get into her like comfort zone. So it goes from being sad to being cruel and like really messed up. So it's kind of an interesting turn of like emotions. Mm-hmm. But just to echo what you're saying, Eric, is like, yeah, it, I don't know if its intention is to make you hate Taylor but it really does make you hate her there. So... It yeah. just seems so mean, and there, there's there uh, that actress, the the actress who plays Bernice. Uh, I had read gained. Yeah, she had to like a gain bunch of for the a role. bunch of weight for oh, it. Oh, great! They made her do like a Christian Bale situation <laughs> for this movie. Yeah, <laughs> just so that her character can get like ripped on for being oh, overweight. Oh, fun! Yeah. That's fun to do to a child. I I wow. think yeah. she's actually I she's fantastic in this film. I think that um, it's not oh, yeah, like she's, she's really a good. great actress. I'm not like. 
she plays being a 10 year old so naturally that it makes her a great actress. Like she's not acting mm. to be 10. And I think that's actually really like, uh, I really enjoyed that they actually cast someone of that young age rather than casting someone that's like, I don't know, like a young looking 16 year old or something like that. When you look at her, like evidently you can tell it's like, yeah, it's like a child right there. And I thought she like pulled it off successfully throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, definitely Bernice. I- I'll say that my, my highlights of this movie are definitely Sandler, Bernice. I like Cloris Leachman okay. And then, of course, you know, Paz uh, Vega and the daughter. They're like, they're, they're really good in this movie. And, and, and you know, I mean, th- there should be a lot like for a movie that I, I absolutely do not like, you know, I like most of the performances. You know what I mean? If that objectively, I don't know if that makes sense, but like from mm-hmm. like an outside look, you know, like a macro view of the film is like, you know, people are acting well in this movie. You know what I mean? Like they're doing pretty good with the terrible dialogue that they have. This isn't like badly acted. Like I'm watching an M night movie or something where it's like the acting's just really strange and weird and unnatural. <laughs> it's like, no, this is, these are conversations. They're just horrible ones between horrible people that I absolutely despise. <laughs> <laughs> Did any of you get the vibe at the beginning of the movie where it was at least, um, trying to, tr- trying to be comedic? You know, like we get the bit with um, yeah. with with her walking into the glass door pretty early on, and it seems mm-hmm. like that early meeting scene. There's just some lines and and things that are s- supposed to play be played for laughs. There's a and couple I, like yeah, there's a couple like yeah. I was talking to Charles like Bro- like Brooksian lines, like mm-hmm. Al- uh, sorry James L. Brooks style, but there's one line that I thought was kind of funny in that meeting when. I think Taylor Taylor tells Paz Vega, "You're gorgeous," and then the grandma, Cloris Leachman's like, "No, that's not a compliment. That's like a, an accusation." What did she say yeah. it's an accusation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I some of these lines are, I, I don't know. It's like it's hard to describe. Like, do they even really make sense? It's just kind of like <laughs> I quippy, mean, I just, quippy uh, little lines, but specifically the walking into the glass door thing, like just seems so out of place to me. Yeah. Like it, it really set, sets the tone. Cause I, I had forgotten all about this movie when I was watching. I was like, I saw that and I was like, Oh wait, was there a little bit of like humor in this movie? And it seems like they try up top and then it's just, they don't they they don't try anymore and it's just a straight drama. Yeah, you uh, totally though. That's like that is sort of James L. Brooks movies though is that they're mm-hmm. like they're completely they can be completely gut-wrenching with little moments of levity kind of tossed in and little moments of wit and cleverness. Yeah. Like terms of endearment. Kind of like our podcast. Kind of <laughs> like our podcast, mostly dour and horrible, but then uh <laughs> punctuated by a joke or two. Uh the uh terms of endearment, I mean back me up right like that movie is gut-wrenchingly sad oh yeah Mm -hmm. um but um this to me is totally strange i think you're right here because like yeah they do like a walk into the screen door one of the one of the jokes i liked was leachman drinking and the the daughter is like it's not even noon and then she looks and the clock ticks (laughs) to noon and she's like well there you you know like that's that's a that's a funny joke i like that gag um so yeah again it's not void of humor you know it's just like mostly <laughs> void of humor. <laughs> it's just a very long movie. And so it's also a lot over of two hours. Not... <laughs> what the f- yeah. Why does it have to be that long? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was agreeing with y'all that like, there is definitely like a giant tonal shift from the beginning where they, they keep hammering on the humor and like that whole scene keeps going on. But then once we get to the, uh, 
body shaming scene, there's a huge tonal shift. And I think that's where it got me because I thought it was going to be like also like a comedic moment. And then they kept building on that because I think like the next scene is uh, um, they're um, Paz Vega's character is trying to sew the clothes to be much more larger for her. And I, I mm-hmm. remember saying, I was like, oh my God, they're actually leaning into this. Like, this is an actual <laughs> thing. Like, this yeah. is not it's how be you a plot would line continuing story right line, like yeah. you would never pivot like this like i don't understand what was going on in there um but also lee you brought up a really interesting point you were saying that it sounds like it's just like a line that james l brooke likes and then he's just expanding on it didn't you say that that was also something he likes to do in his writing where like he comes upon a, a oh. particular line and then he works backwards to justify having that line well, I'm making an assumption, but I was, so I watched those deleted scenes on YouTube and they have director commentary, I think maybe with the editor in there as, mm. as well. Like there's some people there with them and they're talking about the scenes and like James L. Brooks is like, oh man, I hated cutting this. And he's like, he's like, we're going to keep watching these and just hate ourselves for like cutting all these scenes out. But I mean, like, I mean, I know why you cut them out. And he even mentions how like it was bombing at test audiences and so yeah. it's like we had to cut it. But um, but what you were talking about, Charles, is I think like in in more than one of those deleted scenes, he was like, oh man, I really hated cutting that line. Like I just wanted to keep that line. We tried a lot of things, but like that line occurs at like this point in the scene. And so we can't really cut to just that line. You know, we have to use the whole scene. So he's like, the scene was too long. Like love the line, had to cut the scene. So that's why I was thinking maybe he has like, he just has like a notebook of one-liners or something. And he's like, oh, that's funny. I need to write a scene that gets yeah. me there because everything does feel so contrived that it's like he's working towards i don't know like why is it why is everything like he gets the characters it feels like some of the characters like i don't know like later in the movie it's crazy that Paz vega like goes all the way to their house and then <laughs> also yeah. leaves not having done anything that she wanted to do she just like she's only there so she can interface with some of the other characters i guess i don't know yeah i mean i i i think that's an interesting that's very interesting. I think James L. Brooks, to me, is a guy who definitely, his strength is in his writing, right? Like, he's definitely got writer brain. Like, I wouldn't call, like, as mm-hmm. good as it gets or even broadcast news, like, visual masterpieces, although they do look very nice. I, I would say that they are incredibly well put together, like, stories. He definitely knows what he's doing, and he's very funny. You know, it just goes to show you, you know, when you write this far out of your depth, like out of your element, like (laughs) where the places you can end up because he doesn't understand women and body shaming and what that, you know what I mean? Like he's going off of a memory at best of something he's seen or something that happened to him as a kid. You know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not something that he has actual experience with. So when we see this scene play out, it's just like it, you know, it totally should be not as devastating. You can just tell the film doesn't want this to be a complete stopping point of the film where everyone just bounces off, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Jeremy, want- I think you cut out, you cut out there for a second. Can you repeat the last, your last thought? Yeah, just, oh, that like he doesn't want, um, you can tell that he doesn't want the, the body shaming scene to be a complete like handbrake on the film where we all just stop and like go, oh my God. Like, he he wants that to play out as like a little dramatic and somber, but forgivable or maybe even common. Like he doesn't see these things as being like completely oh, horribly like call CPS abusive, you know, <laughs> like I think and I think that's just because he doesn't understand what he's talking about, unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know. 
Um, he might get, you know, uh, he, I think he, for a lot of his other films, he, he, he is in his element. He is in his depth. But for this, mm-hmm. he's writing about things outside of his experience. And it's like, it's very clear. And it comes across as, at best, just like, compl- like uh, what's the word? Like ignorant, you know? He's like, and he's like writing about how white, rich white people don't understand the lives of like the people that work for them. Mm-hmm. But he's not like writing about those people's lives. He's just writing about the white people who don't understand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like his focus is, it's instead of like trying to tell their story, he's just telling the story of like the rich, um, ignorant white people, which I guess that sounds like it could be funny, you know, but it's kind of misguided I, here. I think there's like potential there if you write from that angle. I don't think that like... like satirize it, I guess. It, yeah. Not even... Ahead, like, sir. yeah, you can satirize it, but I think that like, okay, like... uh it, uh, hot take but like maybe like Noah Baumbach's <laughs> films are kind of mm-hmm. in that direction but that doesn't mean that yeah. like his films are terrible it's just like he approached it with like an elegance and he knew how to like weave in and out so that we can understand the character's plight and all that so even though it's coming from that perspective mm-hmm. of like what you would imagine to be like oh these are like um, you know just like, like upper middle class white people yeah. that are just like thinking about their own you know problems it, you can still kind of understand them. And I think that like it would be wrong for us to demonize them, to be like, you can't create films like that whatsoever. It's like, no, I think that he's fulfilling some sort of niche. He's, he's, he's doing it well. Whereas on this one, this failure, uh, you nailed it, where you're saying like, they're not, they're at best is coming from a place of ignorance. And that's at best. And that's terrible if you're coming at it from a place of ignorance. So yeah. that's where and this let, film was. And, and, I, and I also, I feel, I, I actually think, I prefer what you're proposing. Like what you're proposing is actually something I think he could actually probably do really well, which is write an authentic piece about how white people are kind of when they're rich like that, they're just kind of pieces of shit. Like I like that as a, as a premise for a film. You're right. Noah Baumbach, uh, even Wes Anderson to a large extent, like watch Darjeeling limited. It is about like in so, so many ways, like how white people are colonizers in a lot of, in a lot of ways. But uh, this film is not very authentic to that. I think it's more manipulative. Mm. Like it is, mm. it is coming mm-hmm. from a place of wanting you to sympathize or empathize with these people, even though they're horrible, as opposed to just portraying them honestly. And then you decide, you know, like these are the facts, you know, you, but, but with the music cues and the way that it's <laughs> shot and the editing, it's very much like, like there's a scene where, pause vega has to apologize to adam sandler for like an extended period of time and it just like it makes me want to claw my eyes out watching her have to apologize to this man like i'm just like get out of here what are you doing and like it's portrayed as if like that was the right thing to do and i'm like no it's not the same thing they're not talking about the same things you know you have a housekeeper who's swept up in your abusive tornado wife she's just trying to help it's not the same thing as giving your child 650 dollars it's not the same thing like it's you know like (laughs) that's where the that's where i get i got sort of like uh cross-eyed with the film was in its lack of authenticity and more like manipulatively trying to make trying to teach you something right and it it tries to appear as if it's authentic though like it's like it uh that that, that's what infuriated me when i had watched it as well was like it's appearing as if it's a real film that has something to say that has merit behind its words but like like you just said like it's manipulative actually and they're not even realizing it yeah so Floor is soon expected to work and live with uh, the Klaskis <laughs> over the summer. Uh, desperate to keep Floor employed with them, uh, Deborah invites Christina to join them. Uh, Deborah becomes attached to the beautiful and personable Christina, ignoring Bernice. 
Uh, Floor does not approve of the attention. Uh, John unwittingly angler angers Floor when he offers to pay uh, the children a set amount for each bit of sea glass they find on the beach. Uh, Christina earnestly searches for hours, earning $650. Uh, Floor and John argue with Christina as interpreter. Floor wants to leave because of the awkward family dynamic. Uh, he convinces her to stay to Christina's delight, and Floor starts an English course to better communicate with the Klaskis. So, yeah. You, yeah. I don't know. I had to step away for a second, but I don't know if you mentioned the uh, during all that, the um, that sandwich. Oh, that sandwich looked great. <laughs> yes. That is actually... And that beer cool. looked good, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the way he pours it, I've never seen that. I guess that's like... How how a smart person pours a beer? I don't know. Like he like pressed the he pressed the lip of the bottle up against the glass. Oh yeah, it, is that, I guess yeah. you do that so it doesn't foam. I'm assuming, but I was like, wow, brilliant. There oh. there was actually uh, I didn't know this. I was joking with Lee uh, when that scene happened. I was like, oh, that's like a Benji oh, yeah. Babish episode, and that's actually he actually made that sandwich on his YouTube channel. Yeah. Whoa. Really? So, yeah, he calls so it that's the how, uh, like, perfect I, sandwich. It's like the world's greatest sandwich. Yeah, yeah, and there yeah, is yeah. a there's a special feature on the DVD also uploaded to YouTube where like <laughs> I don't remember the chef's name, but it's like the guy who does the French bakery, I think is it's called. He's the one who they brought on as like the chef consultant and he teaches Adam Sandler how to make it in this little um little featurette. But um but yeah, it's called the world's greatest sandwich. I don't think they ever say that in the movie. And I had seen the binging with Babish episode before watching Spanglish. So I thought it was going to be like a huge thing where Adam Sandler's like, let me show you how to make the world's greatest sandwich. Mm. Like something from like Chef or something, but mm. no, he just like makes a sandwich. I mean, it's an awesome looking sandwich. But. Oh, that sandwich <laughs> yeah. great. And it and and then like the scene happens before he can eat it. Yeah, he can't and I, even eat and it. And the yeah. whole time I'm thinking about that sandwich. <laughs> yeah. That scene, yeah. it, the scene has like, it feels like it has multiple little endings. So there's like multiple moments when he's about to bite the sandwich yes. and he has to stop. Mm. So that might be the funny, most impressive scene, I think, of the movie because it actually fulfills yeah. like basic fundamental principles. Like um, there, there'll be a conflict in one room. Adam Sandler will be sitting down. She's going to stand up. Therefore, she has like the power in the scene and then it'll like, go reverse whenever he gets a point. He's up and she's down and then they'll block to a different room and then he'll eat his sandwich, yeah. demonstrating that like, you know, he's got the upper hand now in like the, in the argument. Like I thought it was like the only part of the film in which like it was actually paying attention to to like filmmaking techniques. And I was like, oh, this is actually like okay. I thought it was at this point, at this is like around the halfway point, I was like, <laughs> this might be like an okay film. Like at most. I was like, is it gonna be okay? <laughs> maybe maybe there's a turn here. Yeah. Well, I totally agree. Also, I, I, the, this, the, the scene is so dynamic and um it has like and I bet you this scene was really hard to shoot because especially if they had to do it mm. over multiple days, um, keeping the emotion consistent you know where they need to be in what part of the conversation you know like that would have been just like oh that would have been just really tough to do and you know you can see the glimpse of his um his like craft kind of coming out here like you were saying uh uh charles and i and also you know i even though i do hate how this scene basically winds down. I do. Yeah. I do appreciate the like. I don't know the the gag of having to go through an interpreter or a gag or mechanism. Maybe let's put it that way because it's not always funny, right? It is <laughs> not always played for laughs. Sometimes it's played for tension and drama. It, it's it's kind of a good mechanism. 
you know? Yeah. This is the scene where Christina, the daughter, is like translating for both of them. Yes. And she has to um, say like shit in Spanish because he said <laughs> it and like, and she has to, and she has to, fi- it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic because she has to fight, she has to argue against what she did to him. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, because that's what his, her mom is saying. Her mom <laughs> wants her to do, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like I, I was telling this to Charles. I was like, I think this is like, this was like when James L. Brooks was like thinking of an idea for a movie. Like this is kind of the the promise of the premise of what Spanglish should be. It's like a movie where they're talking and they have to communicate. And it's like, this is this is drama, you know? But again, I also agree with you, Jeremy. I think the way it's resolved is kind of... Um, unsatisfying because it's not an equal transaction that like (laughs) Pazvega is like, I have to apologize to you for this. You were right. They're not the same thing. The thing they're arguing about, but yeah, um, but you know, there's like, it's like, there's like a dramatic skeleton to it. It's just the, the little parts of the equation aren't right. I guess. Right. Right. Lee, you were saying that like, this is probably where like the Genesis of his idea came from. And he like, he wrote the entire film around this scene. And (laughs) I think that like, uh, the idea they're trying to touch upon, which is like the failure to be able to communicate, whether it's like literal communication and language barrier or like the uh, figurative language in which we're like, you know, we're not on the same page. I think that like I get that lesson and like I, I get that uh, theme that he's trying to touch upon. But like you guys said, like there's a power dynamic that's at play. And if they had acknowledged that power dynamic and then went further into that theme, I think that could have like turned the film around. I think that's when like, oh, you're exploring like really interesting ideas because it's like surface level communication troubles, going deeper, exploring why the communication is that way. But like, you know, it's just stuck Mm -hmm. at like level one. And this is why like it's, uh, you know, offensive to watch. Yeah. If you want (laughs) to see a show or something that handles this exact same sort of dynamic, but what does it like, I think more honestly is like that show, like White, White Lotus, I think it's called on HBO, which is, um, you know, like that, that is also about like how rich white people treat the help, you know, and it's done so in a way that doesn't hold your hand through it and it doesn't try to elicit a romance between these, you know, care. It's just a, it's an honest approach to it. And I think like when I say manipulative, you know, like this scene's a good example of like, this scene should have ended like this in real life. Flora would have had to apologize and the guy would have been like, okay, that's, you know, you're dismissed. And then she would have gone and it would have been kind of icky feeling for everybody and uncomfortable, but that's honesty, right? You you apologize mm-hmm. to your boss when you yell at them and you have to because otherwise you'll lose your job and maybe you're not a citizen and there's a vague threat there of perhaps having to be deported. And then in- instead what we have is like, oh, a budding romance. <laughs> and it's like, that's just so not how this works and if, it, if there is a budding romance it's like because she doesn't want to get fired you know so it's i don't know that's that's my uh yeah that's 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 the difference i think between uh, portraying something honestly and portraying it like a holly again a hollywood rom-com which is very much what this is you know it's not trying to be the, some authentic high art thing necessarily you know or maybe it is i, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to tell actually <laughs> I, yeah, I can't tell if this is the best movie I've seen or the worst. <laughs> uh, John's Restaurant receives an amazing review, uh, and he begins to worry about the added pressure. Uh, Deborah begins an affair. She enrolls Christina in Bernice's private school, upsetting floor. Have we gotten 
Sandler as a chef yet? I feel like there's another movie where he's he plays a chef. That's a great mm-hmm. point. You know, he usually does take a job like this in his uh, in his movies. It feels right for Sandler, you know? Right. Well, well, this seen, is more uh, dramatic. Usually in the wackier ones, he's like, uh, like in first, 50 First Dates, he's like a seal trainer, like a, <laughs> or an otter trainer or something. <laughs> yeah. He's always got a good job. Uh, floor feels... Oh. Go ahead. I was going to say, I haven't seen The Cobbler. I'm assuming that's like the shoes, not mm-hmm. like peach cobbler. I think it's something. shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he plays a a a, a, pe- a slice of peach cobbler. <laughs> Floor feels Deborah is overstepping her bounds and voices her concerns to John. Uh, Floor tries to build Bernice's self confidence with small acts of kindness. Uh, Christina and Bernice start school. Evelyn warns Deborah that her marriage is in trouble. Uh, Deborah tells John about the affair. A dejected John walks out, bumping into Floor. Gives her a ride. She announces she's quitting. They go to his restaurant where he cooks for her. Uh, they kiss and have a genuine, deep conversation, realizing they cannot have a relationship. Um, uh, can I talk about the scene? Let's talk about the scene with uh, De- yeah. Deborah and uh, Adam Sandler or John, Deborah and John when they like when she kind of admits to him that she's cheating on him. Right. Yeah. That <clears throat> scene was the scene where I I was like could not I could not stand another minute of Taylor's character until that scene. That was the scene where I was like wow, for better or worse, despite this movie being not that great. Uh Taylor Leone in this scene is like acting her ass off she's like hysterical and crying and up and down and running around kind of not unlike that scene that we were talking about before with just how dynamic it was i felt like she was just like on one in this scene and it kind of made me go like wow you know like she's she is making the most of this character she is making the most of her time in this film and she's not like you said uh i think leave phoning it in not phoning it yeah, there's some. Sandler has some cool lines. I think yeah. in that scene too, something like when she's like, can, "Are you? Do you? Can you hear what I'm saying?" And he's like, "The Earth just cracked open." Or oh, something. there's like a there's a remember, crack but, in the planet, is what he says. Yeah, there's, crack, there's some cool Brixian stuff that in yeah. there. But I, I was yeah. telling Lee like right when that scene was happening, I was like, "You you can't have a good line in a shitty movie. Like this is too good. <laughs> this is too good for this movie. You're like, what are you doing? Bank yeah. this for your next movie." Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, now there's a crack in my plasma screen TV. (laughs) Uh, Deborah tells John about the affair. Oh, we already talked about that. Uh, They kiss, blah, 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 realizing they cannot have a relationship. The next day, Flora comes to take her daughter home and informs her that she quit her job, upsetting Christina. Uh, As they're leaving, John tells Flora he will envy whoever ends up with her. Weird thing for a former boss to say to her. former employee but yeah almost like harassment (laughs) (laughs) oh this just Um, reminded me it's a scene that's not in the movie another deleted scene where somehow they get floor in the same room with deborah at the end here and floor says to deborah like um because deborah's like are you just like completely mad at me like is there any way like you can forgive me or blah 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 something and floor's like i'll just say this like you're very lucky to be 
with John or something. It's, I don't know, it's mm. obviously they cut this out of the movie, but it's kind of mm. a mirror of John being like, you know, whoever gets you is going to be a lucky man. But yeah, <laughs> I don't know if they need, need all that in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's interesting though. I, <laughs> yeah, they keep trying to like in different ways, forgive Deborah throughout the film. Like I think at one point, Christina, except with her looks up to her and says, she's like, you're the most incredible white woman I've ever met. <laughs> and it's just like the worst thing you've ever heard in your life. And it's like, Oh no. <laughs> uh, on, the, on the way home floor further upsets Christina after telling her she cannot attend the private school. Uh, after she asks her mother for space, Flora says she needs to answer an important question. Is is what you want for yourself to become someone very different than me? Uh, Christina considers this on their bus ride home, and they make up and embrace. And that, gentlemen, is Spanglish. <laughs> the mm. Elber, Albert L. Brooks masterpiece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Um hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like that last line. Like, is it, what is it? Or James um, L. Brooks, sorry. James L. Brooks. What is that last line you just read? Uh, oh, being someone very different than me. Um, but also, I don't know. Well, I was talking to Charles about this. Like, why did she have to take her daughter out of that school? And her daughter has like such a crazy freak out, which like, yeah, you should be freaking out about that, but it's like such an intense moment yeah, in the I movie. Mean, that's like, like all the background extras turn around and like stare at them. That's a she's like pointing at her and like cursing her to hell or something. <laughs> what what did they say it was like twenty thousand dollar scholarship or something? Like she's actively hurting her child's uh, future in education with this movie. And it's not like Sandman shows up to the school. Like I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Like what? Where's the problem here? Like just let her just let her attend a private school, get like a higher education, let her have a brighter future. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fundamental. Again, I, I think it, I think it does though point back to just a fundamental misunderstanding of what the immigrant family goes through and what they actually feel about things and how they, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, this isn't, this just ain't it like <laughs> on a lot, on a lot of levels. And it like, it's like a weird clone or a, or a 2004, version of what white people think it is but it's not really like i don't think you know De- uh flora's character would have ne- necessarily done that you know what i mean like that just that sound that felt again that felt inauthentic as well so it's yeah i agree strange strange move strange ending oh the, I just, I, at that the line ending, is I good not, though yeah that y- i could not stop thinking about paz vega uh, her car- floor having to walk 1.3 miles in heels to mm-hmm. a bus stop. Yeah. <laughs> Did anyone else think about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They talk about like, that was like the longest walk of my life or something. Is that yeah. what the voiceover says? Yeah. <laughs> um, I just realized. Yeah. And yeah, like, go uh, ahead, I was going to say this movie came out uh, in 2004, but it also came out in December 17th, which means that this was like a Christmas movie. Like yeah, you had to put it in that Chris, that, that like, coveted christmas yeah, what, a, what a terrible yeah, christmas they, man you gotta like go to spanglish <laughs> like, like <laughs> that was the big family movie I know. that, oh, that was my that was that, was, that i was, lived yeah. it you lived <laughs> that eric that was, it was your, your christmas movie <laughs> That's yeah great. That's i don't great. think we went like christmas weekend or anything probably that opening weekend though i will say i was working at the movie theater at this time 
and it did it did play in like one of the small theaters you know they've got the mm-hmm. big ones and then they've got the really tiny theaters where they throw you know stuff like spanglish and mm-hmm. indie films and stuff yeah man this movie cost also 80 million dollars yeah, saw that to make it's which insane. is you know wow how <laughs> I was gonna say you know that how do you know isn't it like wasn't it like 120 million or something like that oh, is one wow. of the more expensive movies and that movie has no right and I think I think there's just like lots of reshoots and just like the I mean, I guess if you're James L. Brooks, you can do it. But but this movie was filmed in like Pasadena or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was filmed in yeah, it's filmed in Arcadia, and it and 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 basically like what they're paying for, they're playing they're paying for Taya Leona, Taya Leone, Adam Sandler. They're paying for the cast essentially, mm-hmm. yeah. because this movie does not cost. And I, like, but even like, like you said, like even how do you know that has like twice as many like a listers, right? Like, so, okay, yeah. that movie is going to be expensive. If you want only a listers and you're not like going to do the Wes Anderson or Paul Thomas Anderson thing of just being like, Hey, do you want to be in my movie? And people just fall the f- over to be <laughs> in it and they'll take literally scale to go be in your movie. Yeah. I guess like. It's gonna cost. I mean, he also probably has the studio's ear in a lot of ways, and uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's probably this bl- blank check situation. But yeah, eighty million dollars is like that's like an insult for this movie. Yeah, yeah it's kind of crazy. And you, well, you said it was like shot in chronological order too, which yeah, you know, that could explain some of the cost. But still, that's a lot of money for for this movie. Yeah. What are we uh What are we feeling about the tagline for the movie? I'm just now realizing what it is. Um, what it's a uh, every family has a hero. <laughs> You look at you look, look you at the look poster at, and it's like right the there. If you look wow. at the poster, Paz Vega and um, I can't remember the actress's name. Uh, uh, what's her name? Well, Christina's character. They're facing away, so we can't even see their faces oh on the board. <laughs> are they? Is the is it referencing them? Uh, like, are we supposed to walk oh away God. being like like that? Um, the white people savior? Or whatever? No, 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 no. The opposite. Okay. We're like, oh, this housekeeper ended up being the hero all along. Like, think, or the daughter. You know? Oh God! I think because of like the college admission essay, like Paz Vega is like her is the is Christina's yeah. the daughter's hero. Maybe that's the yeah. Well, she almost that's, like, that's she has to win by default though. Like she's her only relative, isn't she? Like direct relative. She doesn't have like a father figure. <laughs> that's or, like, true. Like, every family is a hero. It's like, what do you mean? Like by default, your mother's the hero. Yeah, and a villain, and the side <laughs> character, and every character, because it's just yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I hate that tagline for obvious reasons. Uh, it's not good, but also. Um, it's like, that's a, that is, that is kind of confusing because it makes me think that we were so kind of supposed to walk away being like, and see how, I don't know, see how they impacted their lot. And that, and that is like a common, like Hollywood takeaway, right? Like in a lot of, a lot of yeah. Hollywood, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, rom-coms or dramas is just like, and see the least likely person was the one who was the real blank the whole blank you know um so maybe that's what it's referring to hmm. well at the end of the episode we always like to give a little rating and because we started as a chucky podcast like three years ago we we still give our ratings in uh chucky freckles 
So, uh, Lee, let's start with you. Out of four Chucky Freckles, what would you give the movie Spanglish? And you so, can't go above four. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to give it like zero Chucky Freckles because I'll say like for a James L. Brooks completionist, uh, a Sandler fan, um, and just like, I, I will, I'll say again, I'll, I'll cite my experience last night having a little Amazon Prime watch party with Charles I know Charles was was just tortured by this movie, but I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I had a lot of fun, uh, just just uh, like gawking at how bizarre all these moments are. So if you can watch it with someone else, it's fun to to just uh, be awestruck by by that sense. Uh, and you know, Sandler's doing okay here. Um, I, I'll give it one Chucky freckle. Nice out of four, Charles. What do you got? Yeah, I think I'm going to mirror Lee and also give it a one because it still fulfills like the basic, um, what is that called? Whenever you write a story and it's like, it has like a, a beginning and then rising action and then climax and then denouement and then like a <laughs> ending uh, right there. It has like a structure, yeah. a dramatic structure. Yeah, it still fulfills the dramatic structure in some way. So it, it doesn't like fundamentally fail the purposes of a story. So at least it has that <laughs> framework. So I can't give it like, you know, like a zero. So I have to give it at least a score. So I'd like, I would say that like, like a one. It's just like, it's failing on so many fronts. And that's like before we even get into like uh, the problematic issues. This is failing on like, it's it's got way, way too many things inside of it. Um, it was not designed in that manner. You can clearly tell watching this film. So, yeah, it's just it's a, it's such a terrible <laughs> mark on James L. Brooks' filmography, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Jeremy, yes, sir. What do you got? So I'm I'm also gonna give it a one, but um the uh and the reason being you know like I I you know I. I hit the problematic stuff pretty hard in this episode. I felt compelled to do so. Um, you know, I, I, I have a hard time staying silent, especially on a podcast about stuff like that. That's just like so egregious. However, beyond that, you know, like I watch, a, we watch a lot of crap on this, on this show. We watch a lot of <laughs> movies, right? We sure and, do. And it's not like I, we don't watch problematic stuff. We watch problematic stuff all the time. The thing that the, the other crime <laughs> that Spanglish makes, it makes it also a one is that it's boring. It's just kind of a boring movie. Like, it's just, like, very forgettable and long and um, doesn't have enough going for it, you know? Like, like give me more of those scenes with Adam Sandler and uh, Floor and the daughter, right? Give me more scenes of something give this scene this this whole movie needs to be judged in a way like it just needs to be judged in a direction and i don't know what that direction is i don't really want to prescribe it but it, it need there needs to be something else here to keep me invested and or interested in anything that's going on and um yeah i found myself just a lot of looking down at the phone you know when i wasn't totally just like <laughs> puzzled you know scratching my head with with the you know what was happening on screen i was mainly just kind of just like scrolling through twitter just being like Ugh, <laughs> what is happening on screen but again i didn't have a buddy like eric i was watching it with to enjoy and <laughs> revel in so uh that might have that might have made my experience all, all the more all the more better but um watching it alone at like 3 p.m at your house 
just with your dog <laughs> staring at you. Just like, what are you doing, pal? Like, watch something else, you know? Uh, so one out of four. One out of four. Uh, you know what? One's all around. This thing's getting a one for me. Too. <laughs> uh, don't like this movie. I can't remember if one's the lowest that we go or not. Have one is the lowest. Yeah, half? one's the lowest okay. that we go. Yeah, we yeah, don't go one, zero. Come on. Nothing's a zero. <laughs> <laughs> Although some movies can get pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I I just echo what everyone else says. I think this movie's just pretty bad in general. Uh, Lee and Charles, you're, you're in the middle of covering season five on Northern Overexposure. Uh I'm loving I'm loving the coverage. Tell the people where you can uh, where they can find your podcast. Thanks, Eric. Uh, you can find our podcast um, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We have I guess we host on SoundCloud, so that's another place to find it. But like Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I feel like once you like put out the RSS feed, it just gets like it just goes everywhere. I don't know, mm. um, but yeah. Uh, and we have a Patreon as well. If you're <laughs> if you've never heard of Northern Exposure, it might not be for you, but we cover like adjacent things like uh we just covered Citizen Kane last month on a <laughs> on a Patreon. That's awesome. Because there is an there's an episode in season five uh where there's a Sicily film festival, the town where uh Northern Exposure is set, and the like centerpiece is Orson Welles. And uh Peter Bogdanovich, the filmmaker, appears on Northern Exposure. He's like the keynote speaker for this film festival. Man, he's anyway. in everything. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah R.I.P., by the way. He he just recently passed. He passed away recently, yeah. Oh. Um, hmm. But yeah, anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, patreon.com slash northern overexposure podcast. Uh, we have a YouTube. We, we made a, a, a video essay on northern exposure. Um, that's just the same thing, northern overexposure podcast on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, y'all. thank you for having us. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime. Open, uh, open invitation. And Jeremy, we have a we have a bit of a, a conundrum here because the next episode is a Scorsese, and we've reached Casino. Oh, which we've ar- we already covered during Mafia Month. Yeah, uh, last year. <laughs> it, it looks like so, we're gonna it, like Punch Drunk Love style. We're gonna just do a little re-release, right? Well, let's let's do another. Let's do a re-release, and then we will um, go back to Sandman. Go back to Sandman, which now I have to pull up the filmography for Sandler. Yeah, what's his uh, next thing? Is it Rain Over Me? Or is it really? Oh my god! <laughs> I hope so. That is so funny. If it's Rain Over Me, oh man, I hope it's Rain Over Me. No, it's it, probably not right. He wouldn't do uh, two. the long, the longest yard. Okay. Oh, he do, like, okay. two dramatic yeah, he, ones. He's always like that. one for them, one for me, one for them. One. Okay. Sure, sure. Uh, longest uh, yard. Follow us on Twitter at HubieHalloween1. Uh, Patreon is patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. We're doing a ton of great stuff over there lately. So check it out. $5 a month. You can sign up. You can listen to probably 100 bonus episodes at this point. And yeah, this week we're covering yeah. uh, Demon Knight, a Tales from the Crypt film. Uh, yes. Which also. Uh, by happenstance, uh, has stars a little uh, Thomas Hayden Church, just like this movie, uh, Spanglish. So we got a little Thomas Hayden Church theme this week. Some THC. THC. Nice. <laughs> uh, so I love THC, a- baby. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, stay, stay tuned for more uh, Scorsese and Sandler content and Norma. 
I'll see you in my dreams.